Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Rethinking Church podcast. In this episode, we are continuing our conversations uh, through the chapters of uh, my newest book, Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. You can pick up the book on uh, Amazon, on the WPH store. You can find it also on my website, timfox.online. We have been really excited about some of the early reviews some of the endorsements, some of the things we're hearing from pastors and church leaders as they read the book and they're finding hope and inspiration and encouragement. And we want to continue to help you as you think about rethinking church. Now, this week we we're talking about rethinking the church's why. Rethinking the church's why. Now, the church over the last couple of years has has really struggled. It's it's struggled to have direction. It's struggled to have vision. It's struggled to reach people and be convincing. It has struggled to inspire the imagination of the next generation and invite them into vibrant life and ministry together. So we've seen the the numbers. We've all read the state of the church emails. We've all seen the statistics of, of declining and plateaued churches. We all can, can recognize, even within our local context, that the church is growing more and more irrelevant to the culture around us. And, we, and we've got to find a way to shift. It doesn't take a whole lot to look around the church and realize that, that the church is unhealthy. It's, it's withering on the vine. We have traded making disciples for coddling cultural Christians. We, we stand for very little and we stand against a lot. We've just not been mission-minded disciple brigades, making disciples, starting churches and, and serving the world. And we've, we've all been there. We've all served in unhealthy churches. You may be serving in an unhealthy church right now. Maybe you have inherited an unhealthy church and your your desire is to lead it into vibrant new life. And you're, you're wondering, how do we even do this? You know, I've spent a lot of years wondering what is holding the church back. In fact, in my last my last church experience before coming to Goldsboro Wesleyan and leading it into a restart as uh, Hydrant Church, I served in a very large church. I was the associate pastor, and it was this church that had this vibrant ministry of reaching people for about 50 years, and it grew from 50 to 1,000 plus in a town of just 5,000 and was a, an influential, impacting church in that community at a time. But sometimes success is our biggest enemy, and, and things shift. We shift from being mission-minded to maintenance-focused. And we become worried about our survival. We become worried about holding on to what we've achieved or what we've accomplished or what we have or what we think we've earned or our position in the community. And so we hold on. We hold back and we shift our energy to keeping people that we have versus reaching the lost in our community. We we focus our attention on teaching classes instead of releasing people to make disciples. We we shift to taking care of properties and buildings and expanding them instead of expanding the kingdom. And that's what happened in this place. The, the focus on Jesus had just been lost. And, and in that, what really is the saddest part is that people get lost. People become a resource to manage 
people become expendable. They can become liabilities, especially if you don't fit into the mold of what they're looking for, if you don't fit into the expectations. And it didn't take long. It didn't take long for the church or for me to figure out that I wasn't fitting in. It didn't take long for it to figure out that I didn't match up with the expectations and the ideas of of how church is run in that place. And and so I got labeled a rebel that had lies told to me and about me. It was I was undermined by leaders that that didn't like something that I thought or did, even though they had told me to do it. It was just this mess. And eventually I was, I was sacrificed because I was no longer useful. You see, I was useful for a time in cleaning up messes and restoring some ministries. But when I became someone who was willing to shine a light on anything and everything, to say some of the things that needed to be said, to call us back to mission, uh, I, was, I was immediately um, asked to resign. And then it got worse from there. The, the unhealth just exuding from that place meant that when I was asked to resign, I was promised severance, but then told, okay, to get this severance, you're going to have to do two things. You're going to have to sign an 18 month gag order says you won't speak about anything, you know, from any elder, any leadership meeting, any conversation you have been in, in relation to this church. And the second part was that for the next 18 months, you won't serve so much as sweep the floor for a, for a life group, a small group, a class, or a church in this county, or in the eight counties touching this county across two states. If you'll sign these, then we will follow through on the severance that we promised. One of my biggest regrets is signing those documents. My only regret for my time there. But as I as I think about it, God is faithful, and He uses everything. He uses everything. And that painful experience that I went through, the hurt that we went through, the anger that lingered with me for months and the the darkness that I had to enter into to survive that season was what led to me understanding my why more and more. You see, I had to let myself wander into the forsaken feeling of that time, wander into the darkness of feeling forgotten, abandoned, rejected, used and and discarded by the church. Use that season of wondering whether I would have a ministry again, whether my career was over, whether my life direction was was over, what was going to happen to my family and my kids and my job and all of these things. And in that time, God invited me into the darkness He invited me not to run from it or hide from it or deny it, but to to enter into it. And when I entered into the darkness, I found a light that I didn't know was there. You see, Jesus, Jesus was in that darkness. He knows that darkness and that forsakenness. He knows what it is to call out to the Father and beg for a different pathway, to beg for it to be different. Even after being ministered to by angels, he still even more fervently asked, might the Father give him another way? And then on the cross, he calls out, why have you forsaken me? Now, the the goal of this is not to create a theological discussion of of atonement or what happened on the cross or or his grieving in those times, but to, to just simply introduce you to the Jesus I met in the darkness. When I entered into the darkness, I found that Jesus was there, not to fix it all, 
but to walk with me through it, to be a light and a guide through those seasons. And when I, when I let him guide me through that low place, it, it reopened my eyes to what the church could be. So that when we, we started something new, I wanted it to be a place that was there for people who were going through what I had been through. For those who had felt rejected or abandoned by the church, who felt like they didn't fit in or didn't belong, to feel like they had no place within the gospel story, to invite them in to that very story, to be a healing place for the wounds that we have all experienced. And so for me, when we, we began to restart and relaunch, of course, we changed the name. But to be honest, that was the easiest part. And that wasn't easy. When we changed the name, it was because we were going to change we were going to change what we were doing in ministry. We were going to change the way we worship the programs and those things. But it wasn't just about changing what. that That's not going to make a real change. You can change your programs. You can change your music style. You can change the way you dress on Sunday mornings. You can change your building, change your name. But you've got to go below the what. And you actually have to change how you're doing those things. It's not just about what you're doing, but how you're doing it. And even deeper than that, we have to consider why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And a part of this is beginning to to deal with some things that are off track. We have to deal with some wrong beliefs. Now, part of that is just simply acting on what we know. We have, let's just be honest, a lot of spiritual fatheads in the church. People have been to lots of Bible studies and lots of sermons and lots of Sunday school classes and lots of small groups, but aren't doing a whole lot of gospel living. And so we've got to begin to, to sort through and begin to act on what we know so that when we say love our neighbor, we actually go next door and love our neighbor. So when we say that the church exists to meet the needs of the community and point them to Jesus, that we are actually pointing people to Jesus. So we have to know people who don't know Jesus. We have to act on what we already know. And then there are some things we have to eliminate, some wrong beliefs. Now, every one of us, every one of us believes we're right about everything. We just do. Otherwise, we'd change our opinion, right? We all believe we're right about everything, but we have to come to a place where we hold those with an open hand and realize that while I believe I'm right, there's a possibility that I'm wrong. There's a possibility I've missed something. There's a possibility that a twisted idea has, has worked its way in. And so some of the wrong beliefs that have a way of, of, of sneaking in to the church are things like the church exists to stand up for rights, the rights of Christians and, and to stand up for what's right, or, or that the church exists to defend the gospel and, and to serve its members, or to, to believe that we're small because we don't sugarcoat the gospel. And those big churches, they sugarcoat it, and they, they aren't really real about what this gospel is. Sometimes we need to let go of the belief that we need to be able to reach everyone, that we have to design our church in such a way that it reaches everyone of every age and every ethnicity and every socioeconomic uh, uh, area and just be able to just reach anyone and everyone. And then we have to let go of the belief that our way, our way of worship, our way of disciple making, our way of planting, our way of, of, of doing ministry, of being church, of being pastors, we have to let go of the idea that our way is the only right way. It may be a right way. But every right way eventually becomes a wrong way if it's held on to for too 
long. So we have to begin to discover a new direction, to let go of these wrong beliefs so that we can be opened up to what God would have us to do and to discover our why. Part of that process for us was to rethink our ecclesiology, to rethink the way we thought about church. You see, there are 400 churches in our county, 400 churches in a county for 100,000 people. The thing is, probably 390 of them are doing very similar things every week. Their buildings are very similar. The, the decor is very similar. The worship is very similar. The preaching is all very similar. And they're reaching the same group of people. And there are then those who are being rejected, those who have no place, those who don't belong, those who who aren't being reached. And if you're going to reach people nobody's reaching, then you got to do something that nobody's doing. And so we began to think of the church like the body of Christ. Very biblical model, right? The church is the body of Christ for our county. And, and not every church in our county is a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, but that working together, we could be the body of Christ and reach toward everyone. And so we had to figure out who God designed us to reach, how God designed us to do ministry so that we could begin to walk forward into that ministry, doing what we were called to do. We realized that that out of my story as the leader and out of some of the things that we had been through collectively as leaders, that we wanted to be a healing place. We wanted to be a place where, where those who had felt rejected and abandoned could find healing in a patient and slow and real deep way. We wanted to be a place for men. Here's the thing. The family follows the man one way or another. And most of our churches out there are designed to look like a little girl's bedroom. Pink carpet, brass chandeliers, doilies, and, and flowers everywhere. And, and, and then we want men to come and serve and lead and be a part of these places. And it's just a little uncomfortable just to even be in the room. And so what if we designed it for us? We asked, what if we designed it as a place for men? We spoke to men. We engaged with men in ministry. We focused on winning men because if we win men, we win the family. And so we wanted to be a place that men wanted to engage and wanted to be a part of it. And then the third thing was to worship and, and design ministry in ways that had outsiders in mind. It wasn't just for outsiders, but we had to take outsiders seriously. Those who don't have the, the language of Christianity, who don't know the stories of the Bible, those who, who don't have a, a place within that story or know how to engage in it, we had to design our worship to be a place that they could engage with Jesus. They could meet Jesus for the first time. And if we're not intentional about this, we drift back toward our, our Christian lingo. We drift back toward things we liked. We drift back toward the, the music that makes us comfortable and happy. We drift back toward ministries that are for us instead of for those who aren't yet attending or a part of the church or a part of the kingdom. And we refocused on making disciples. It was the last big instruction to the disciples from Jesus, go and make disciples. And yet so few of our churches are actually making disciples. We are just maintaining a community that isn't have any real missional focus. It isn't really changing lives. Isn't really leading to transformation. That's not the church we saw in the gospel. That's not the church we see in Acts. It's not the church we see over the last 2000 years really being the church. And finally, we knew we had to be good for the community. Didn't mean we have to solve every problem, but we could partner 
with those who are solving problems and invest in meeting needs within our community. Now, one last thought for you as we wrap up this conversation is this balance between health and growth. And, and sometimes we can, we can hear language about a growing church and reaching people and getting bigger, and we, and we can immediately kind of tune out, or we can, we can get frustrated or disappointed. And, and the real reality is we need healthy churches, healthy churches that are moving forward and growing, healthy churches that are reaching people, healthy churches that are making a difference. But it's not about getting bigger. It's about getting healthier, getting stronger, getting better. Now, one of the ways that we balance this was to go to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. When we, when we look at that, we realize that the, the early church grew in four ways. And I think there is even some sequence to this. Now, when we look into those verses, we see that the, the early church committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They committed themselves to, the, to, to working together and meeting needs. They committed themselves to engaging with their neighbors, and they, they grew in favor with their neighbors. And then they began to grow in number. God added to their number daily. So we see four types of growth, and, and any of these are growth, and any season may be focused on one or more of these areas, but the first the first is always growth in maturity, growth in holiness, growth in the Word. There has to be this kind of spiritual growth before anything else. And then we grow in unity. Often we grow in unity when we understand our why, and we understand what we're doing together and how we're going to do it. We grew in unity, and then they grew in favor with the community. As they began to meet needs within the community, they grew in favor in the community. And ultimately that led to growing in numbers. So get it in the right order, get it focused. Think about what needs to really grow next in your church and begin to think about why. Why is your church here? Why is your church in your community at this point in history? And what is God asking you to do as a result of being where you are? May God guide you as you rethink why in your church. Now, we look forward to being with you again soon. Keep an ear out. We're going to be announcing soon about a webinar coming out as we get closer to, to late March. There's going to be a, a special webinar around the book, Rethinking, uh, Rethinking Church. And we look forward to you being a part of those conversations. We will continue to walk through the book over the next couple of weeks, excited about how God is using the book. So read it, share it with somebody, reach out if you have any questions and there's anything we can do to help you as you rethink church. Now.